Chilling. Truth. And that's why I just tighten up my head my life. I didn't feel that I had to face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm a king, man. I decide who does what and where they do it at. Okay, so next time you see me, I will do So what's up, guys, and welcome to The Chilling Truth. I am Corey, and I'm joined by Chris who is making changes to the script right now. <laughs> I guess I've got to keep doing my job. Exactly. Uh, so Chris is a permanent host now. Uh, he was going to be a permanent host to begin with, but I didn't hear any negative feedback, so I guess you guys enjoyed him. Uh, I didn't. I did hear positive feedback from Rob, so that was cool. Uh, he said it was natural. He said we sounded good together. The chemistry was there. He had a couple of things, a couple of little inputs, but other than that, I think we're all good. So today... I just ran down my stairs, so I'm like out of breath because I'm also out of shape. <sighs> okay. You should re-enlist. Fuck that. Uh, so today we're talking about Waco, and if you don't know about Waco, Waco was a siege that happened back in the early 90s uh, where the FBI and the ATF totally botched a situation that could have been handled much differently. Now, don't get me wrong. David Koresh is a fucking weirdo, and pretty much a piece of shit don't 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 get it twisted we're not on we're not team koresh over here uh but it could have been handled <laughs> a lot differently i think and uh a lot less people needed to die so david koresh was actually born vernon wayne howell um vernon howell was born in 1959 on august 17th to bobby howell and 14 year old bonnie clark uh and i don't think bobby howell was 14 i think he was like in his 20s I don't think that was Bonnie's choice. No, I don't. no, no. I don't think women had a lot of choice back then. But Vernon's mother never married Bobby, so he was forced to live with stepfathers, and he claimed that they were abusive to him, and his grandparents also thought the stepfathers were abusing Vernon. Uh, Vernon's only sibling was a younger brother named Roger. Uh, Vernon didn't do well in school, I guess, as could be expected, given his home life. Uh, he failed the first grade twice, and then went on to fail the second grade as well. How the fuck? I don't know. How do you fail the first grade? You don't do anything in the first grade. You learn, like, colors and, like, how to write your name and shit. <laughs> I don't understand how you fail at that. Uh, I mean, so I read that he was actually uh, possibly dyslexic. Yeah. And so yeah, that's he, what he was possibly. Yeah. That's what led to, like, the remedial classes in elementary school. The teachers were like, you have a disability? Fuck you. You fucking fail anyway. Right, like yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, dude. It's not his fault. Um, so <laughs> this next part I feel like is gonna be controversial. <laughs> so Vernon's early difficulties in school did land him in remedial classes, like Chris said. So the kids gave him, they gave him a 1950s nickname. Is what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say the name. Nobody get mad at me. This is purely for educational purposes. They called him Mr. Retardo. Now, don't come for me. Okay, that's what they called him. I never called him that. I'm just reiterating it. Uh, so this obviously hurt Vernon's self-esteem, as if the name Vernon wasn't fucking bad enough as it was. That's a name that died out, huh, Vernon? You won't get canceled for for the nickname, but you may get canceled for for Vernon. making fun of his actual name. Yeah, Vernon is a weird name. Vernon. <laughs> Vernon. It reminds me of the name Ernest for some reason. Is Vernon and Ernest's name? Or are they just Vernon and Ernest? They just sound similar, I guess. 
Uh, so Vernon was raised in the strict confines of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, which we're not going to get into because there's like two chapters in the book I read about that. And also, the book is called uh, "The Waco Siege" by Jack Rosewood. It's pretty good. It's hardly a book. It's only about a hundred pages, um, which I appreciate. Honestly, I like Jack Rosewood's books because they're shorter. Uh, it's great for research purposes because it's not a bunch of filler like fucking Philip Carlo likes to do with his Iceman book that I've been trying to get through. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm still mad about that. <laughs> so I do appreciate the lack of pages, honestly, because I got a lot of stuff going on and it's hard to read an entire book when it's 400 goddamn pages. So while other boys, so he was raised in the confines of this church. Uh, so while the other boys were out chasing girls and doing drugs and just being cool, you know, being cool guys, cool stuff. Cool stuff yeah. Uh, he was working on his future craft of being a preacher, which is way less cool. In my opinion. Um, I've never met a, I've met maybe one cool preacher. Uh, and that was, uh, the, the preacher of the church I went to with my parents when I was a kid. Uh, he was pretty tight, but, uh, other than that, they're mostly not cool. He probably thought you were pretty tight, too. He did think I was fucking tight. He told me. He's like, dude, you're fucking sick. So his constant reading and watching of sermons really alienated him from his peers because um, if you go around just talking about God all the time, uh, I mean, people yeah, don't want to hang out like, with you. It wasn't only reading and watching, but... He, he never shut up them. about it. He never shut up about it. It's all he talked about. He's like, It's like he had a podcast. It's all he ever he's talked like, about. <laughs> he's like, Jesus, Jesus. And it's like, but all see, right, Vernon. The cool we'll, thing is... We'll play kickball now. The cool thing is if you go around talking about Satan all the time, people think you're fucking cool. People think you're like listening to metal. And yeah, it's cooler to be the adversary. Like everybody wants to. Yeah, you can play a lot of kickball and talk about Satan. You're working first base. You can be like, hey, man, <laughs> let me tell you about the 11 satanic rules of the earth real quick because I got time. <laughs> so in the 1970s Vernon became involved with Mount Carmel uh, the Branch Davidian community and in 1981 he moved there full time see I always thought this was a misconception I had I thought they were called the Branch Davidians because his name is later changed to David but it was already called that I thought it had to do with his actual name but I guess it didn't uh, his preaching uh, his preaching styles caught the attention of his followers and anyone else who happened to hear a sermon uh, one thing that was different about Vernon at the time, he's still Vernon here, one thing that was different about him is he didn't wear a suit and tie like most pastors did. Uh, he'd usually wear a t-shirt and jeans or sometimes even sweatpants because, you know, he's just a fucking cool, cool breezy he was, guy. He was, like, he was like, yeah, I'm a street preacher. <laughs> street every, preacher. Before every kickball game. Okay, like you got to give the up. The, he's an adult at this point. I don't think he's playing kickball anymore. He's playing if you're the guitar. Not playing an adult, then, okay. He's shredding on the guitar now. That's what he does. <laughs> Jesus bless my fingers. Yeah, exactly. So the thing with David or uh, Vernon, sorry, he hasn't changed his name yet. Uh, he wasn't preaching to people who were already converted. He was thinking of himself as a modern day Messiah, and like the first Messiah, he was going to take his message to the masses, and he more or less did. I mean, you can't say the name David Koresh without people really know, they know who you're talking about. So many of Vernon's followers weren't your typical Christians either. They were former drug users, alcoholics, and the likes of, but Vernon didn't discriminate against them. And another thing that drew people to his Vernon sermons 
which is what I would have fucking called them 100%. I would have made signs that said Vernon Sermons. Uh, was that he he presented them in a way who who presented them in a way people who weren't the typical religious type could understand. So like he wasn't saying begot this and begat that and all that other bullshit language. He just talked like how we talk. He talked normal to the people and that yeah, and like it's the fact that he's saying yeah, you know, I sinned too, you know. He used, he didn't even throw a damn in there sometimes or an ass. You know what I'm saying? Like he really Yeah. And honestly that goes a long way when you have people who aren't typically religious. It it really disarms them when you're approachable like that instead of being like Joel Osteen who's a fucking piece of shit dickhead who Dude. drives a fucking Ferrari around and he's a preacher. It makes me want to become a preacher and just lie to everybody like he does. Like, yeah. Let's yeah. If you're listening, Mr. Osteen. Fuck you, dude. You're, That's what I said. You fucked up, dude. Yeah, <laughs> God hates you, I promise. So, in the summer of 1990, Vernon Howell changed his name to the one we all know and love, which is David Koresh. Uh, so he will be referred to, to he will be referred to as David for the remainder of the episode. Just know that's who we're talking about. So let's break down David Koresh because he got David from the Old Testament King David, the one who fought Goliath. Totally real story. Uh, and Koresh came from the Hebrew version of the ancient Persian King Cyrus, who in 539 BC conquered Babylon and and then allowed the captive Jews to return to Israel to rebuild the Salamic Temple. So that's really how he came up with the name. So it's kind of original, but kind of not original, I guess. It's like Marilyn Manson, you know. Yeah, you kind know, of, sort of like Manson, that. Except Marilyn he wanted Monroe. he he said Marilyn Manson because Manson he wanted to be the most beautiful thing and the most evil thing or something. And it's like Charles Manson really wasn't that evil. He was weird, but I wouldn't call him evil. He, I don't, I don't know, man. We'll cover him in the future at some point. Don't worry. One day, one day, guys. So, to really understand the Branch Davidians and the Waco Siege in general, you have to understand how David interpreted the seven seals of Revelation. Uh, most people who believe in the Bible believe that each seal is one step closer to the Apocalypse, yana, 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 and the eventual return of Christ. Uh, and we're going to touch on the seven seals really quickly. We're not going to go through all seven. Obviously, that will happen in our future installment of the Book of Revelation, which I told you guys we're going to be doing again later on. But David believed the seven seals depicted violence consuming the world, which they pretty much do, more or less. Uh, and he saw what happened on the day of the Waco siege as exactly what was happening in the book of Revelation. So the first seal we're going to read is the second seal. And the second seal reads, and when, he, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And that's Revelation 6, 3 through 4. Dude, the Bible is written so fucking difficult. Like, not, those sentences don't make sense to me. They, they don't. So when you break it down, you have to break down what is being said and then the subject and then what's said about the subject. I just mean like has sat there on to take peace. Like, I don't know. It just there was given unto him. I guess it does make sense now that I'm reading it differently. <laughs> now that I use English. So this could be equated to what happened at Waco. The ATF and the FBI came to take peace away from the Branch Davidians. So the fourth seal uh, reads as this. And, he's, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, 
and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. It's like a fucking metal riff, dude. Sounds so tight. Um, let me see. <laughs> Sorry. It was unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with beasts of the earth. Revelation 6. Verses seven through eight. Fucking sick, dude. See, in Revelation, the Bible becomes metalish, metal as fuck for sure. Oh, oh, definitely. So again, this signified uh, or symbolized uh, the ATF and FBI riding up in their SUVs and tanks, trying to destroy destroy what Koresh had built. Uh, and I'm saying all this from the Koresh's perspective, not my own opinion. I don't give a shit about the the Bible. Uh, so the interesting thing about Koresh is that he seemed to relish. Uh, in the violence in the Bible, even going as far to say, quote, the Bible is a whole book about nothing but violence. Uh, it's a very fire and brimstone mentality for a pastor to have. And fire and brimstone pastors are fucking pretty scary. Yeah, but like considering considering who this man is, you know, rock star, sweatpants, using cuss words and sermons. Sweatpants. Yeah, that's... And like a checkered past of like getting excommunicated from his previous church when he was Seventh-day Adventist because of his, you know, his choices. It's just like, how could you go from like, hey, I'm low, low in the mud to, you know, Jesus is killing everyone. Yeah, it's, he goes from this low point to being what most people considered a cult leader. Uh, And it's interesting how that happened. So the next part we're going to talk about is really what, I mean, part of it is cool, whatever. It's your own dick. It's your own life. You can do whatever you want with it. I fully understand that. But when that involves underage girls, that's where the line is drawn. But if you want to just be polyamorous and like have multiple wives and shit, dude, more power to you. More husband, multiple husbands. I don't care. Whatever you want to do is fine. That's your business. But yeah. don't fucking no, yeah. have sex with underage people. Just don't do that part of it. Whatever you want to do in your life, if you're over there, you got 50 husbands, 30 wives. Dude, I'm happy cool. for you. Cool. Yeah, you know what? That, that's more headaches for you. Awesome. Or more don't threesomes for you. Either way. Yeah. Just have consent. Dude, consent yeah, is- consent. That's all that matters. <laughs> Literally, the only stipulation is just have consent. Legal age consent. There you go. Yes. So, but with all that, you know, let's just, we're going to speak briefly on, you know, Koresh's polygamy in his life and among his people. Um, So David pulled many excerpts from the Old Testament and used to tell that his followers how the members of Mount Carmel would be living. As the siege was happening in 93, reports from Mount Carmel started coming out to the media. One of that shocked a lot of people was Koresh's practice of polygamy. Now, do you think that that report coming out would have the same... I don't think it would have the same impact today as it did in 1993. I feel like I, if it came out I, now, they'd be like, oh, cool, whatever, that's fine. But people would be like, oh, so they're Mormons? Like, all the confusion yeah, would Yeah, it would there. just... Yeah. That's the focus would be, but it wouldn't be shock. It would just be confusion. It wouldn't be like, oh, God, disgusting. I feel like everybody would be like, dude, he's fucking multiple girls. That's fucking sick. I feel like that would right. be the consensus among most people. <laughs> Fucking cool. He is the cool bro, man. He wears sweatpants, I heard. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I just think it would be different. Times are different now. 
<laughs> but so Koresh believed and convinced his followers that him being the prophet of the Branch Davidians, this modern day King Cyprus, um, is that he needs to father many children with many different women. Weird that that's that that's out of the whole Bible. He's like, we definitely a hundred percent this part needs to happen for sure. <laughs> I need I need to take a little army of like <laughs> I need to have sex people. with a bunch of women. Uh so I think that's honestly, I think that could be where the cult angle comes from because Jonestown did the same thing. Charles Manson pretty much did the same thing. Um, it's, it's a, it's this mental hypnotism. It's a cult thing. It's, it's, it's putting him yeah. above the other men because everyone else was sworn to celibacy while he was able to fuck all their wives, which uh, exactly. is not going to be cool with most guys. No, not at all. Like he's cuckolding these men. So he's asserting dominance over them. Imagine and there's one cuckold in there that's like, he's like, oh, David's going to fuck our wife. Shoot, man, that sucks. Oh, man. I but hate yeah. You know what would be worse if he made me watch? That would be real <laughs> bad. No one tell David oh. I said that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, dude, so... what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up, Gregory. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, again, it's like this this dominance in the mind of men, and then it's it's like it's the endorphin and like serotonin release for women because we all know that that happens chemically when it comes to sex. I did not know that, but yes, sure. But I don't think I feel like I kind of I'm gonna backtrack on what I said because yes, no, I'm not gonna backtrack because yes, it's okay to do to practice polygamy if everyone involved is agreeing to it 100% and does not feel that they are agreeing to it based on coercion, which I feel the women in the Branch Davidians were being, f not forced, but more or less to sire children with David because he's, quote-unquote, the prophet or whatever. And so it's not 100% consensual, I don't think. There's no way all those women were like, fuck yeah, I want to fuck this dude with the Jeffrey Dahmer glasses and the greasy hair. Like, there's no way that everybody felt that way. All the, not, all the women didn't feel that way. There's no, it's not possible. Oh, he looks like a fry cook? Oh, that's my time. Oh, yes, I love it. I love guys that don't wash their hair. It's incredible. But it's like, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, this man is depicting himself as a prophet, as the new coming messiah literally so the like, new cool. coming messiah uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like I'm the coming messiah on your fucking tits but, but, it's like, I, that, but speaking like, of and then you're in the middle of nowhere what are you gonna do I mean they could leave that's one thing that is often miscon misconstrued about the branch Davidians is they weren't stuck there they could leave anytime they, we're gonna get to it in a second but they, could, they, they weren't forced to stay there but I think on the since we're talking about the appearance of David Koresh, I feel you've watched this mini series on Netflix, right? Of Wake called Waco. Yes, it's yeah. super fucking good. If you haven't watched it, it's I couldn't stop watching it. I wanted more of it. It's so fucking good. But the actor that plays David Koresh is too fucking hot to play David Koresh. He made David Koresh look like a fucking superstar. Man, David Koresh is an ugly motherfucker. But the guy He's, that played him looks fucking... He looks cool. He looks like he with long hair. He looks cool, man. But no, David Koresh did not look cool. He looked like he a greasy, not. weird guy right. who just crawled out of a dumpster. He's like the high school Friday. Yeah, exactly. He has like almost adult acne. He's not, a, not an attractive man. And these women were more or less forced to fuck this guy. I mean, it's not cool. It's not good. I mean, they are of age, but I don't feel like they were really... 
like pumped on the fact that they had to have sex with him. Especially cuckold Gregory's wife. Gregory was pumped, but his wife was not. She didn't know he was into cuckolding when no. they met. I mean, his wife was pumped. Literally pumped, but she was not excited about it. And Gregory was like, I'm so happy that I saw that ad in the paper about the Branch Davidians. <laughs> he was stoked and stroked. Exactly. So David did end up fathering children, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he ended up fathering 17. 17? Two. That's a lot of kids. I got two kids, and I fucking hate my life sometimes. 17, <laughs> man. Jesus Christ. I'm kidding. I love my children, but they drive me fucking bananas. They're fucking rad, but yeah. <laughs> but make- um, so- <laughs> I'm just thinking about your kids. <laughs> Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> I yeah, it's love a, them. It's a little strange. Let's move on to these underage girls he had sex with. That's less weird than you thinking about yeah, my children. It's, it's David Koresh's fault. Yes. So, like, of 17, two were with underage girls, um, which is fucking terrible. Like, that in my mind, like, you're shot on sight. Oh, dude, it's horrible. It's awful. And the thing is, the parents gave the consent for him to do it, though. That's... But I feel like let's let's get through this. I feel like we're spending a lot of time on the polygamy, oh. which is not the biggest part of the story, uh, because a lot exactly. of people die. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, not the biggest part, but the part that gets people involved. It's the so sensational like, part. It's really the sensational yeah, part. Exactly. There we go. So, and then two are with adult women who are already married. The idea of David's polygamy is purely religious, or not. You know, that's up for heavy debate. Mm, which we are doing. So little far. of this, little of that, guaranteed. He's, yeah. But he would often cite the Old Testament in defense, which is full of examples of Israelite and Hebrew kings, patriarchs, prophets advocating plural marriage. Yeah, plural um, marriage is fine have... if everyone's into it, but like kids, no, it's not cool. Don't do that no, part. No, it's gross. But David, having sensed the sexual frustration on males in Mount Carmel, he eased some of the restrictions, um, such as, you know, his ban on alcohol and tobacco use. Although it was still frowned upon, it's not oh, like, thank oh, yeah, you, thank you, David. Great. You're fucking my wife, but now I can get shit faced drunk and not have to think about it. You're such a great messiah. And then you're gonna scold me later for it, as if yeah, it's not your fault. Everyone's gonna judge me later. So yes, this is. I love living here. This is great. We all the the house is also made of plywood. This is incredible. No insulation. <laughs> and I'm in Texas. It just couldn't be worse. So during the siege, Koresh was, Koresh was portrayed in the media uh, in a pretty negative light. He was called a charlatan, a freak, deranged, a cult leader, and my favorite, the wacko in Waco, which is, I think it's funny. I would take that name. It sounds like a like Leatherface's cousin. <laughs> the wacko oh, in yeah. Waco, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'm Leatherface, I live here in Pasadena. I'm he uses a handsaw instead of a chainsaw. Is much less... Uh, <laughs> He's much less successful. (laughs) But the media's opinion of David came from people who had already left the church and were pissed at him. So the people that wrote this thing is they're, they're terrible. So that the thing that's often misunderstood about the branch Davidians is they weren't a cult like the Manson family or Jonestown. People were told they could leave whenever they wanted to. And the Manson family was the same way you could leave, but it's like, you're turning your back on your quote unquote family. It was, you could leave, but you were made to feel like shit if you left. That's how it was. Oh, but yeah. Jonestown was a different story. Jonestown, there were straight up armed guards waiting to kill you if you attempted to leave. Oh, and many did die that way. You know, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, 
but it wasn't like it was totally forgivable and easy to leave the Branch Davidians, though. A lot of these people came from other countries. They came from other states. Like, they're not... They they can't just up and be like, well, see you later, guys. I'm going to just hop on this train and go home. Like, it's not super simple. Like, you're kind of stuck there. Um, and yeah, you were made to look like a quitter, and you were, looked like you were turning your back on God himself. Um, and it may not have been a threat of death keeping you there, but it was the idea that you were giving up on a prophet for one, on your family for two, and on God himself if you left. So there's, you know, no pressure if you wanted to take yeah. off. <laughs> and it's crazy that he had he had followers from Australia mm-hmm. who, who did end up leaving, and but they went back all the way to Australia they're like nah dude well that's who, yeah. that's one of the 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 people quoted in the story where the 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 paper the report we're about to talk about is um damn what was this fucking name Mark Mark Brewalt Brewalt I don't know it's an Australian name I don't well, know I, say it in Australian Australian Mark Brewalt my name's Mark so, wow, so on February 7th, one day before the ATF raid on Mount Carmel, the Waco Tribune Herald released the first part of a seven-part series called Sinful Messiah, written by Mark England and Darlene McCormick. Uh, the articles really set the tone for how the media was going to view and report on the Branch Davidians, and one of the reports came uh, that came to McCormick in England was from a former Branch Davidian member, a young Australian man named Mark Brault. Brault. I don't fucking know how to say his goddamn name. Brault. We're just going to go with Brault, and that's how I'm going to say it from now on. So Brault moved to Waco to be closer to David and the community, but in 1989, when Koresh declared celibacy for all male members except himself, which is a sweet deal for David, uh, Koresh chose Brault's wife as his own, which really upset Mark. Uh, And then he promptly left the group. I don't know if his wife went with him, but I know he left the group. So other reports were from another former member who was also angry at the group, uh, and that's the lack of honest journalism that comes in with McCormick in England. Like, this was a botched fucking hit job, essentially. Uh, They reported on the sexual activity at Mount Carmel, how Koresh was practicing polygamy and having sex with underage girls. Um, His sex with underage girls uh, did amount to statutory rape, which is a felony. Uh, Polygamy is also a crime in every American state, but uh, it's rarely prosecuted by authorities. Uh, but polygamy and sexual rape isn't what brought the ATF to the Branch Davidians' door the following day. Oh, oh no way. Not at all. The but... ATF could give a fuck if you're fucking underage girls. They care about alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. So the story also reported a large number of weapons stored at Mount Carmel and used plenty of loaded terms such as assault weapons and machine guns, which are very arbitrary terms. A shotgun is technically an assault weapon. A pistol. Every weapon is technically an assault weapon. Yeah, it's used to assault things. Like that's what it. That's It's just saying assault weapon is redundant anyway. So sinful. Yeah, it it is very redundant. So sinful Messiah never showed what life at Mount Carmel was like for David or any of his loyal followers. Uh, So the story was very one sided and, like I said, a hit job on the Branch Davidians. And again, we're not defending them. We're just saying that only one side of the story was really told and that was from the perspective of it'd be like if you ask someone's ex-girlfriend how they feel about a boyfriend who like cheated on them like you're gonna get a shit story like they're gonna talk shit about them it's just yeah it's very jaded it's very it's emotional it's very heated it's emotional so it's not gonna be honest journalism which is what they failed at 
Uh, but McCormick in England never pointed out the biblical justification justifications on polygamy and never talked about the weapons at Mount Carmel all being legally obtained. But the ATF heard about the guns, and that's what sparked the investigation into David Koresh and his commune in the first place. So now we're going to get into the ATF and David Koresh. Uh, do you want to take over, or do you want me to keep reading? Oh, I got you. Cool. So the ATF opened their case against the Branch Davidians on July 9th, 92. The case came across their radar because a UPS driver reported he delivered a box of the best thing in the world, hand grenades, to Mark <laughs> Carmel. But... Uh, the, but they were later reported to be dummies. Yes, and to have. exactly. You can have a dummy hand grenade. It's like a paperweight. Like, you can get... You can buy those at, like, the fucking flea market. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not as cool. They yes, don't explode, know. but you can have one. Um, and for those of, those of you who don't know... Um, a dummy hand grenade. A hand grenade itself is about the size of a tennis ball and probably as green as the grass. Well, this is so 93 is... hand grenades, so these are the oh. jagged fucking... Oh, uh, the pineapples? Yeah. That's not the smooth, like, little racquetball-shaped ones like they have now. These were the, the bumpy ones. Oh, man. They're both cool, but I like I like my racquetball-sized ones. <laughs> but that was still enough to... The report was enough to in, in, initiate the case against the Branch Davidians. Oh, yeah. So the grenades, as well as reports of automatic gunfire coming from Mount Carmel, was enough for the ATF to send undercover agents to infiltrate the group. Oh, my God. And did they ever pick the best agents to fucking do it? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think when I watched the, the documentary or the, the series, the docu-soap, whatever you want to call it, the first thing I thought was, these guys look like ATF they just, agents. <laughs> they just they look like undercover ICE agents. <laughs> yeah, like no, it's the David and the Branch Davidians were like, yeah, these guys are law enforcement. Like right, like it took them no time at all to be like, yeah, they're not just regular people. Like they're fucking. It's stupid because one of the agents, I can't remember. I think it was Gonzalez. Uh, first of all, his name was Robert Rodriguez. And he went by Robert Gonzalez, which I think is actually honestly a typical tactic for undercover agents because that way you you know your name already I listened to a podcast uh, I can't remember the fucking name of it right now uh, it's called actually it's called Deep Cover and the guy in there his name was like Nick so he went by like Nib he went by something else like that was super similar to Nick or super similar to his actual name so that he would respond to it and not be like oh they're not talking to me basically yeah but real quick one but, of the one of the, I think it was Gonzalez so he he told Koresh, he's like, I don't know anything about weapons, I don't know anything about guns, and all this stuff, and then they go to, take, Koresh takes him to a, a, a shooting range, and this motherfucker shows up with his own pistol. And it's like, you just said you don't know anything about weapons. Why would you he's have your own gun? Doing a functions test, he's stripping it. Yeah, it just doesn't it make any test. sense. He's like, I don't, I just, I just got this yesterday. No, dude, it's fucking dumb. But, like, not only did they pick, you know, probably the worst dudes, but they probably picked, picked them more more or less the worst locations set up, you know. Their yeah, real close. Down the road. Not a even. mile. Literally a mile down the road from Mount Carmel's where they set up uh, and these agents. And it's just this little, you know, ho-dunk little shack. But it's lined up perfectly with the front door. But no, but that's, that's the other thing. Think about Waco. If you've ever been to Waco, it's flat. 
at least where they oh, were, either. was flat. You can see for a fucking mile, straight, without binoculars. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You walk out the front door and get the paper. Hey, David. Basically, with a megaphone, you can just say, hey, David. You're, like, right there. So the the they set up uh, Special Agent Davy Aguilera, Aguilera, sorry, uh, headed up the investigation, and then, like we said, they rented a house a mile down the road from Mount Karma, where uh, it's set up uh, S.A. Robert Rodriguez, posing as Robert Gonzalez, uh, and there were also a few other agents posing as local area college students, and all were trying to win the confidence of Koresh, and he saw right fucking through them. You can go ahead but and pick since, up if you want. Yeah, but <laughs> since Gonzalez and the other agents were there to investigate weapon violations, they needed to gather actual evidence of illegal firearms and, if possible, purchase some from the Davidian. That's like, hey, man, do you have crack? And can I buy some crack from you? Right, like you gotta, it oh, just, it's gotta slowly build. Like, you don't just jump into it. Like, I've been, uh, I've been reading about uh, people who infiltrate biker gangs, and it takes, like, years, dude. It's not like a quick hop, skip, and a jump to just, like, earn the trust of, like, a president of a Hells Angels chapter. Like, it takes a good time. Like, you gotta do a lot of shit. You gotta go through the shit, man. And they wanted to rush this investigation. Yeah, which is, it, it's flawed from the start by being rushed. I mean, David and the other men, other members picked up on the idea that these new members are probably law enforcement pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, they might as well just walked up with a fucking badge on. It's like, hey, uh, not a cop here, but can I be in your cult? It's like, <laughs> my no, name's, not a cop. My name's Robert, not a cop, Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's actually a Twitter page, uh, not a cop. And yeah, it's just I've seen asking. it. I love it. I love that thing. Um, David initially thought they were from INS, which you're gonna have to educate me me on because I actually don't know what INS. Uh, INS is like uh, immigration. Okay. I don't remember what the uh, acronym but, is, but basically, he thought they were there to pick up members who had overstayed their visas. So it has it's INS is an immigration. It's like similar to ICE, I think. I think it's like the old uh, version of ICE. More than likely. Um, so they weren't, you know, picking up that they were actually from ATF. Um, Chris being so charismatic and likable, um, you know, Special Agent Rodriguez over here, who was raised Catholic, you know, started to question his own beliefs. Dude, how charismatic is this guy? Like, what the fuck, man? Like, you're there to do a fucking job, not to change religions. Get it together. He's over. He's probably like on a skateboard, skating to the door, plays a guitar riff. <laughs> And then he answers like, "Hey, what's up?" He's like, "Dude, are you wearing are you wearing sweatpants?" Oh my god, I just want to join your yeah. religion so badly now. We all wear sweatpants here at the Branch Division compound, bro. They call us the sweatpants cult. <laughs> Look at that's a cult Sally I can get behind. Sammy sweatpants. Sammy sweatpants. And Sammy sweatpants, and he's just this cool. He's actually a little black kid, and he just comes up and he just. Just give some skin to David Koresh before taking the skateboard and skating off himself. And that's really how he disarms his future commune members. Is he has a cool like, kid yeah. come up and give him a high five. He's like, yeah, that's my son. <laughs> I had sex with seven women yesterday. And he's like, <laughs> dude, you're fucking cool. You have to be God. <laughs> <laughs> so the best evidence that the ATF could come up with was a stockpile of semi-automatic weapons that had been illegally converted to automatic weapons. 
Uh, some other reports came out about drug use at Mount Carmel and that they may have been setting up a meth lab uh, and that several members had uh, convictions for drug offenses, which actually turned out to just be marijuana offenses. But in 93, that was a much bigger deal than it is now. Definitely. So Branch Davidian David Thibodeau, who survived the siege, best summed up Koresh's philosophy towards illicit drugs, quote, everyone knew David Koresh hated drugs. Ch charges that were assembling and arsenal of weapons to be used against the government were equally off base. We had nothing to hide. In fact, weeks before the raid, Koresh offered the ATF the opportunity to come out to Mount Carmel and inspect the compound. And real quick, in the miniseries uh, called Waco, David Thibodeau is played by Rory Culkin, who was also in one of my favorite movies called Lords of Chaos about the Norwegian black metal scene. Uh, and he plays Euronymous, the lead guitarist of Mayhem. So if you haven't watched that movie, it's fucking dope. Go watch it. We're actually going to cover that uh, in a future episode. Yeah, for all you posers out there. For all you fucking non-metal posers who don't wear corpse paint. So the reality is that the Branch Davidians did in fact own a quite a large arsenal of guns, but there were monetary reasons for owning them. Koresh had, and a follower named Paul Fatta became regulars on the Texas gun show circuit during the late 1980s and early 1990s. They were strong believers in the Second Amendment and thought that they would need the guns when the prophecies from Revelation came true. Uh, because I don't know if you know, you can just shoot the devil. You can just shoot him and like you're, you just kill him. If you, if you carve uh actual crosses on the slugs themselves yeah yeah you can just you know, it'll go into his body and it'll just burn him from the inside out it's actually pretty sick uh so they also realized that there's quite a bit of monetary gain that came with buying and selling guns at gun shows obviously uh and the atf thought that they would catch koresh committing uh firearms violations during one of his many many transactions at the gun shows but a common misconception gun shows and person-to-person -person purchases are often viewed by gun control advocates as a loophole that criminals can use to illegally purchase firearms but licensed gun dealers you hear that licensed gun dealers not person-to-person -person, licensed gun dealers are required to keep records of all transactions which are subject to investigation by the ATF one particular person that Koresh did a lot of business with was a non-Davidian gun dealer named Henry McMahon the ATF actually began investigating McMahon under the premise that he had made either illegal or undocumented gun deals with Koresh. The ATF thoroughly searched McMahon's home and records and could find no crime. So they're just coming up empty-handed all over the fucking place now. Can you imagine just a bunch of dudes in these, like, nylon jackets, and they're just throwing your shit around. They're like, oh, well, we didn't find anything. Thank you for your time, sir. And you're just like, dude, I gotta clean it. Dude, that literally happened to me in high school. I was called to the office... Uh, somebody said I was selling drugs in the bathroom, which I definitely wasn't. Um, and they tore my backpack apart. They like ripped apart all my pens and shit and like dumped them all over the table. And then they were like, all right, you're good. And like just made me clean up all my shit on my own. I was like, what the fuck? This is fucked up, dude. Like at least help me put my shit back together. So they do that still at the border. Um, yeah, they like tear your shit up and then they're like, all right, you're good to go. Yeah, agents will literally give you a ratchet wrench until... <laughs> Like you know, take your fucking your engine apart. apart and put it back together. You have 30 seconds. Yeah. Put your car together. You're blocking <laughs> traffic. It's like, uh, 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 can I have help? No, you can't. Just you figure can't it out. That. Here's a YouTube video on how to do it. It's in Spanish, too. So. so now we're going to talk about Operation Trojan Horse slash Showtime, uh, which is the actual, what they call the actual raid. So on February 28, 1993, the ATF conducted one of the largest raids in its history and what would become one of its greatest tragedies. 
Even though the ATF never turned up any serious violations on Koresh during its investigation, the collection of witness statements and innuendos was enough to obtain a felony arrest warrant from a federal judge. Although the warrant allowed for agents to enter the premise of Mount Carmel, it was not a no-knock warrant, which meant that the agents were legally required to identify themselves as law enforcement before entering the premises, and this would later become one of the main points of contention, uh, as the Branch Davidians claimed that the agents never identified themselves while the agents claimed that they did. The operation involved 75 ATF agents who were to raid Mount Carmel with automatic guns and body armor at 9.45 a.m. Now, I get it. They're legally supposed to tell you, but I'm pretty sure they're all wearing jackets that say ATF. (laughs) You had to know who it was. The body armor has ATF and more than likely their last name. Yeah, so I don't know. That's a little strange to me. But the strange thing is, before the ATF served its warrant at Mount Carmel, they had plenty of opportunities to actually pick up David Koresh. He left the compound several times running errands and jogging on the dirt roads, but ATF didn't take this opportunity to grab him, uh, and it is still one of those enduring unanswered questions surrounding uh, Waco. It's like, yeah, if you were to pick him up, you know, in the community, leaving the grocery store or something, you got maybe four or five followers of him. However... That's not a threat, you know, and if anything, you legally detain those four or five followers for trying to obstruct justice. It yeah. shouldn't be that oh, we're scared of retaliation because it's like if David Koresh doesn't come back to the compound, he doesn't come back to the compound. They're left in que- like questioning themselves and where he's at, but they're not going to show up anywhere and try to like you know, get him back. Government. They're not like he's not a queen bee and they're a bunch of fucking bees and are going to kill everybody to get him back. No, it's. If they would have just done it that way, they would have saved so many lives, but on the ATF side and on the the the, the Branch Davidian side. Yeah, we got a warrant for your arrest. We're going to pick you like, up. We're going to investigate. We're going to go to the compound. The head honcho's not there. We can probably just go up to the front. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't have to be I don't know. I'm not in, I'm not in law enforcement, so I don't know what's the right way to do it and I'm glad I don't have to make decisions like that. Right. So, one of the most replayed images from the Waco siege is the gun battle between ATF and the Branch Davidians that took place on the roof of Mount Carmel. And one of the primary controversies concerning the Waco siege, and one that has spawned numerous conspiracy theories that still resonate today, concerns who fired the first shot. And the Netflix show even touches on this, on who shot first. Uh, The ATF claimed that as they approached the front door and identified themselves, they were immediately fired upon from inside Mount Carmel. I don't fucking buy it. The Branch Davidians counter that the ATF agents fired first and never identified themselves. Obviously, there's a large gap between the two sides, although both agree that the first shots were fired through the front doors. Now, you take into account the fact that David Koresh told the ATF a week before, come to my compound, inspect, look at anything you fucking want to. Why would they shoot the ATF right on cue as soon as they get there? Why would they start shooting? I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying why, if it happened, I don't think David Koresh told, why did they even have their fucking guns out already? Actually, no, I do know why they had their guns out already. Never mind. <laughs> they were tipped off about the raid by, uh, I can't remember who it Robert. was by. But they were tipped off about the raid by somebody. I, I swear, I, I, I know it as being Robert Rodriguez. Him going over there, and but David you know, also telling him, it's like, yeah, we already know. Okay, no, no, no. I'm so, I'm so mixed up. 
So David Koresh, yes, did tell Robert Rodriguez that he knew there was a rape. Um, Robert goes out, tries to warn ATF agents. You know, he knows there's, you know, he lost the element of surprise, this, that, and the other. However, they did not listen, and they decided to go through anyway. So I would say it does look a lot more like the ATF and FBI shot the first shot. I definitely think they did. No, I definitely feel that the ATF fired first, and yeah, I don't... Who knows, dude? It could be anything. So yeah, cr- the, the, the rules of engagement were definitely ignored. Oh, for sure. Out of frustration. So Koresh suffered gunshot wounds from the raid, uh, and but lived and gave several statements throughout the subsequent raid. Uh, when Koresh's attorney asked him why he fired on federal agents, he answered, I don't care who you are, nobody's going to come to my home with my babies around with a, without a gun back in their face. That's just the American way. I do feel part of that. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's totally agreeable. Um, and he goes on to tell that same attorney um, that he knows the government's going to kill him. You know, he knows he's probably not going to get out of this situation alive already. Right. So what do you have to lose? Exactly. So a detailed forensic investigation may have been able to reveal who shot first if the only gunshot holes in the door were punched in one way or another. If the holes were punched outside, then the ATF shot first, and if vice versa, then it was the Branch Davidians. Unfortunately, the door, the door was destroyed by combat vehicles the FBI used in the raid, uh, and it was never recovered. Two lawyers that represented a Branch Davidian who died on April 19th claimed that the only gunshot holes they noticed on the door were punched in when the, they visited their client during the siege. Since their client died during the siege, one could argue that they had no reason to lie. Uh, the missing door fueled many conspiracy theories uh, and continue to do so as proponents of such ideas argue that the door was purposely destroyed to conceal evidence that would have absolved the Branch Davidians. So the ATF raid on Mount Carmel was to be essentially three-tiered. A group of ATF agents would storm the front while simultaneously with another group scaling the side of the building, then entering through a rooftop window. Uh, while the helicopters hovered for support. The logic was that the group entering through the roof would seize any weapons the Branch Davidians had stored before they had a chance to use them, thereby effecting a successful arrest. The agents who conducted the rooftop raid were brought to their target by pickup trucks pulling cattle cars that contained the agents and ladders they used to scale the walls of Mount Carmel. At first, the maneuvers seemed to work well, but when the first three agents went into the complex through a rooftop window, they were met with heavy resistance. Surviving agents claimed that shots came from all directions, which seems like it would make sense since the walls of Mount Carmel were constructed with cheap plywood. The video footage, if you've seen it, proves as much uh, as shots came from inside out, but the video also proves that Branch Davidians did not fire first on the rooftop. The confusion of the firefight inside was probably further exacerbated by the flashbang grenades that the agents used. The video footage also shows that one of the ATF agents shot himself in the leg while climbing a ladder, uh, which demonstrates the uncontrollable and dangerous nat- notion, uh, nature sorry, of such a large operation. It also reveals that he uh, is very dumb. He's, yeah, like why isn't your rifle behind <laughs> So after nearly two hours of shooting, the ATF called a ceasefire to their operations around 11.30 a.m., and Koresh and the Davidians agreed to let the ATF carry off their four dead and 14 wounded agents. Uh, immediately after the shooting began, Branch Davidian lawyer Ma- Wayne Martin called 911 and was put through to Lieutenant Larry Lynch of the local sheriff's department. Of course, there was nothing that Lynch could do to stop the gunfire, but he was a voice. Uh, he but was a voice of authority that Koresh and his followers were willing to speak with. Uh, that is when the FBI allowed the calls to go through. Right and. 
you know, when that firefight breaks out on the rooftop, you do see in the video one one ATF agent poised by a window, and you just see holes. Yeah, you see him get shot. Right yeah, and then yeah, he does get shot in the hip. That's and like the most sensational that's... part of the footage. Everything I looked at on YouTube, that's like the main footage that you see. Yeah, is that and one clip? He is in an interview, and he talks about that how he fell off the roof right after that. Yeah, it's pretty um, intense, dude. I don't, I don't envy those guys whatsoever, either side. No, not at all. Not, not in that type of situation where there's confusion and you know. Intense. It's intense. Yeah, it's incredibly intense. So soon after this, the FBI said, uh, "ATF, you done fucked this real bad. So we're gonna take over." Uh, and they had the HRT as well, which is the hostage recovery team. So they were gonna, they planned on using that to get people out of the building. Uh, the, F- the FBI, house, however, was still licking its own wounds from Ruby Ridge in the summer of 1992, uh, where they had a standoff with Randy Weaver, who was a white separatist. Uh, he had an illegally modified shotgun. The standoff resulted in a de- and a deal. Marshall and Weaver, or I'm sorry, the the standoff resulted in a deal. Marshall and Weaver's 14-year-old son shot to death in the back, and an FBI sniper, Lon Harichi, uh, who shot and killed Weaver's wife, Vicky. So it also did not end very well. But the siege at Waco was looking like it could end peacefully. David said he would surrender if the interpretation of the Seven Seals could be made public. He spoke with CNN and a local radio station, KRLD, early during the siege, and he stated that if they publicized all his interpretations, he would end the siege. There were also a lot of Branch Davidians who left Mount Carmel in the early part of the siege. That would be 21 children and 14 adults, uh, which they everyone saw that as a good sign. So they weren't being held against their will. I want to get that point across for sure. Most right, of the children... Like, go ahead. How do you find a moment in that gunfire to say, oh, I want to go? Well, it was probably during the ceasefire. Yeah. Because that was still pretty early on in the in the siege, the ceasefire happened. So most of the children that did stay were Koresh's children, uh, and the adults left were his own were only his most loyal followers. So they didn't fear death because they felt it would fulfill the prophecies that uh, David Koresh had preached in his sermons. So as this siege turned from days to weeks, the government was looking for a way to end it, and they didn't give a shit how they ended it. So they decided that another raid was the best idea. They sent in bugs to listen in on what was happening inside, and the bugs were sent in with milk for the remaining children and medical supplies for the wounded, such as David Koresh himself. Uh, the devices didn't reveal much, except that the Davidians were tired and hungry, uh, but they had no plans of mass suicide, and they did not have any plans of attacking uh, unprompted. So the FBI was turning off the power uh, on and off randomly. Uh, at night, they would use floodlights to wake up the residents of Mount Carmel. Uh, during the day, they would play loud rock songs and sound effects that were broadcast extremely loud um, because they were trying to use psychological warfare, basically, like Guantanamo Bay type shit, like sleep deprivation and things like that. Yeah, which again is just Fucked. an attack that you, you can't you can't escape it. There's you're not your body's not resting your mind's not relaxing you're always on edge and so it's just it's just driving people further and further away from what you want to happen yeah it's very counterproductive very much so uh but the branch davidians played their own music to drown out what the fbi was trying to do and that really fucking pissed the fbi off (laughs) 
So the FBI seemed to show no clear strategy as to how it would end this crisis. Uh, one day the FBI would, FBI would use psychological operations. The next they would call Koresh on the phone and invite him to discuss the theological beliefs. Um, and so there was clearly a disconnect going on within the Bureau about how to handle this. So after nearly two months of on-again, off-again talks between David Koresh and FBI negotiators, the HRT wing of the FBI finally won they decided to use force to uh, extricate extricate the Branch Davidians from Mount Carmel. Uh, it seemed like David was ready to end the standoff and told the FBI that God had given him permission to write his interpretations of the Seven Seals, and when he was done, the Davidians would surrender. So they called off the raid for a little while, and that took a lot of convincing from the FBI negotiator to the HRT wing to tell them, like, hey, let's just see what he does. But they've already been burned by him, so they were, like, real worried about it. Yeah, exactly. Which brings us to Bill Clinton. So in an attempt to seem hard on crime, because he was a Democrat and people felt that he wasn't, he told his attorney, attorney general, Janet Reno, to end the standoff by any means necessary, which included ending it by force. So, the Branch Davidians who were actually sleeping at 6 a.m. on April 19th were awoken by the sound of CEVs clearing the vehicles and small building that had not already been destroyed by the FBI during the 51-day siege. The CEVs quickly completed their first task and then turned to the primary and most controversial task that they would be used for that day, the insertion of CS gas into Mount Carmel. If you guys can't tell that we're getting into like the fucking horrible ass part of the story right here. Oh, God. this part, this sucks. So the FBI used two methods to disperse the CS gas into the compound. One was handheld grenade launchers uh, and the other was CEVs puncturing holes in the building's, wall, the building's walls and spraying a form of CS gas that was suspended in methylene chloride. A stream of carbon dioxide was used as a dispersant in order to further spread the gas throughout the complex, which was a major fuck-up. So most of the FBI agents who dispersed the gas into Mount Carmel on April 19th probably did not know its potential side effects, but the amount they, uh, they used ensured that tragedy was going to be unfolding very soon. So, if you don't know, like, this is fucking, this is awful. Almost as soon as the CS gas was inserted into Mount Carmel, multiple fires broke out throughout the complex. Infrared camera footage taken from helicopters released by the government after the assault shows that the fires broke out nearly simultaneously on different levels and in completely different areas of Mount Carmel. The government argued this partially proved that Koresh and his most ardent followers lit the fires themselves in one last attempt to fulfill the apocalyptic prophecy. The government also argued that transcripts from the bugging devices placed in Mount Carmel proved the Branch Davidians intentionally set the fires. In various parts of the audio tapes from April 19th, the government transcribed Koresh saying, quote, light the fire. But defense attorneys uh, for some surviving Branch Davidians argued that most of the recordings were inaudible. They didn't have great mixers and mics like we have. Oh, not at all. <laughs> So if the Branch Davidians did set the fire themselves, then that would point towards the mass suicide plan. And if a mass suicide were to happen, then one would expect to find all the Branch Davidians gathered in one place, more than likely the chapel. But this was not the case. In fact, the only place where any significant number of Branch Davidians died in one place was where they believed was a fireproof vault. So they tried to escape the fires. It just doesn't make any sense why they would set the fire themselves. The vault is where the remains of most of the children and their mothers were found, which does not suggest the actions of a suicidal group. The Branch Davidians were well stocked with survival equipment, which included gas masks, but unfortunately for the children, there was no size that could fit them. 
So the surviving Branch Davidians claimed that the mothers brought their children to the vault because they believed it would shield them from the gas and then the flames, but unfortunately they were extremely wrong. So the immediate fallout from the FBI raid on April 19th was severe as 76 Branch Davidians died that day, which included 21 children ages 15 and younger and two fetuses, which is controversial to talk about. So five Branch Davidians died on February 28th during the first raid, and one died that day trying to enter Mount Carmel from the outside. The prophet himself, David Koresh, was among the Branch Davidians who died at Mount Carmel on April 19th. The nine Branch Davidians that survived the fire were promptly taken away and charged with an assortment of felonies, conspiracy to murder federal agents being the most severe one. And as the Davidians were charged, most of the evidence that was proved, the, most of the evidence that have proved they're innocent or the government's case literally went up in smoke. So there was no way to prove anything concrete because they fucking burned the whole place to the ground. Right. And I just want to add, you know, while, um, like we said, his most, his most loyal followers stayed behind. Yes, those were his children, you know, the mothers of his children. There were those, you know, of Koresh's followers who were fighting back and they were actually found in the chapel uh, most with or all with gun uh, GSWs, gunshot wounds to the head. Um, and mm-hmm. to this day, they cannot figure out if Dave Koresh took his own life or the followers were taking each other's lives in an attempt to escape the fire because at that time, the chapel's not fully destroyed, but it is cheap plywood and it's burning down. Yeah, so, and it also has the accelerant, which is the, the gas that they put in, not the CS gas, the other one, uh, the methylene chloride. Right, to suspend and then the carbon dioxide, which is stuff we breathe out to, to, to spread it. The, I mean, whether David Koresh committed suicide or whether his loyal followers committed suicide is beside the fact, in my opinion, the ATF put the CS gas in there um, hastily. Without complete knowledge. Without complete knowledge, and they killed 21 kids, and they killed adults, and people died. People literally fucking burned to death, which... Um, is a bigger botch than I think uh, Ruby Ridge ever will be considered. And also, the f- the further repercussions of Waco is Oklahoma City because Timothy McVeigh says that one of his primary motivations for carrying out the bombing of the, uh, the Mira building was Waco. He wanted to get back to the government. And he's a fucking idiot because he mostly killed just regular people who were there for fucking various government uh, services because he's a fucking moron. But the point is, if the FBI hadn't botched this so badly, then Oklahoma City might not have ever happened and would have saved, I believe, 160 people. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, David Koresh is in no way innocent. I mean, he still was having sex with underage girls, having children with underage girls. He was still doing bad things inside the walls of his commune but I don't know man both sides are wrong there's really no way to say you know they should have done this they should have done that because it does. there's no point right. honestly it, what, it, what can be taken away is that there needs to be there needs to be an exuberant level of standards when it comes to procedures and apprehending what we believe are criminals and that one evil does not deserve greater evil in return. No, I don't just... think... I think that they 
carried out the raid the way they did because they were scared. Because they knew they had weapons, they knew that they would more than likely fire back at them, so they were like, well, let's just go at them real fucking heavy. Um, and, don't, I mean, CS gas has been used countless times that doesn't end in this kind of tragedy. Um, it's just the way it was dispersed and the way that they mixed it with other shit that it <laughs> fucking caught the building on fire and it killed all these uh, people. Yeah. Modified Abrams tanks, you know, ramming in, making holes, dropping these canisters. I mean, if you watch the videos, it's kind of hard to watch because there's people... The, whether they whether you agree with their religion or their ideals or whatever like there's still people behind those walls there's kids there's moms there's dads like there's still I don't know David Koresh sucks but I don't think all of his followers deserve to die the way they did for sure exactly. but regardless that's just the opinion of two guys who host a mediocre podcast so we don't have to uh, pay any more mind to that but that's Waco, guys. We've been meaning to cover this for a super long time. Uh, we got some good stuff on the works. We kind of have a schedule set up, which is good, so it won't be... Uh, you'll be getting a good medley of uh, creepy stuff and uh, weird stuff and paranormal stuff and serial killer stuff and aliens. And so you're, you're, you're going to get a real hodgepodge here in the future. We got a, a different type of setup that we're going to be doing. Uh, so... That's coming up in the near future. Next week, we have Creepy Reddit, a fan favorite. So we're going to get to work on that because uh, you got to go out of town for some army stuff. So we're going to be recording that tomorrow. This one will also be out on Saturday, which is today, I guess, because you're listening to it right now. It's actually Thursday today. but And then next week, week. What's that? You made it through the week, people. Good you did. Good week. job. I'm very proud of you. And now you're finishing off your week with a great episode about Waco. So that's also good. Um, so we got some good stuff coming up in the future. We do have our Patreon still. You can go on there and subscribe to that. Once we get a good amount of people, we'll start, uh, I guess, putting more effort into that and getting you guys some exclusive episodes, maybe some exclusive interviews and stuff like that as much as we can possibly do. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely some shout outs if you guys do subscribe. Like one right now for Rob for all the good positive feedback. I appreciate you listening, giving your opinion. Yeah, very much appreciated. Thank you so much, man. Um so yeah, that's Waco. Um follow us on Instagram at uh the Chilling Truth Podcast and you can find merch on there as well. Uh please leave us a comment or a review if you're liking the new host, if you think he sucks or whatever, just let us know how you guys are feeling. Uh, we always appreciate that. And yeah, we will catch you guys uh, on the flippity flip. Later. Peace.